and welcome to episode two of The Animated Journey, a weekly podcast featuring interviews from animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and first off, I want to thank everyone for listening to episode one, the interview with Sabrina McIntyre. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. And for those who haven't yet listened to episode one, make sure to go to iTunes and subscribe. You will love the interview. We talked about a variety of things, and Sabrina was an amazing guest. And also, I want to let everyone know that the show now has sponsors, which is very exciting. The first one is Amazon, and I know that all of you are familiar with Amazon. It is the place to go if you want to order books, music, movies, clothes. You can even order groceries now. It is a great resource to order anything that you need. And our second sponsor of the show is audible.com. Now, if you're like me, you love to read. You absolutely adore books, you love information, you love gaining new knowledge, but you have very little time. Or you may hate to read, but you still love to learn and you wanna learn about all sorts of topics. So whether you are an avid book reader or if you don't really like reading, but you just wanna learn more things, you may be wondering, well, what should I do? Audible.com is the place for you. It is a great resource for you to be able to download audiobooks. They have thousands of books on a wide variety of subjects, not just animation and visual effects, but everything under the sun. So if you've ever wanted to learn about gardening or hiking or scuba diving or swimming or the sciences or anything at all, Audible is your place to go. Now you may be wondering, Angela, I love Amazon, I love Audible, but how is this gonna support the show? And the way that it supports the show is if you visit the show's website, which is www.theanimatedjourney.com, you will see links on the right-hand side for both Audible and Amazon. Click on the links, do your shopping, and a little bit of money from clicking on those links and making purchases at amazon.com and audible.com will come back to the show. So it's a really great way to support the show by going ahead and buying products that you would have already wanted to buy anyway. So I just wanna say thank you very much to our sponsors and thank all of you out there for supporting the show. So now we're going to get on to episode two, which is the interview with Kiara Ferrari. You guys are gonna love hearing her story. She is an amazing person. So without further ado, on with the show. So good evening, everyone. I am talking tonight with Kiara Ferrari, who is a layout artist for DHX Media, which is located in Vancouver. And Kiara, thank you very much for joining the podcast this evening. My pleasure, Angel. Great. So let's get started. Uh, first off, uh, where are you from? Um, I was actually born in San Francisco. I lived there until I was about seven. And then my family did quite a bit of moving around. And we eventually ended out in Texas. But um, I always wanted to go back to San Francisco. So I always have counted that as my home. Where in Texas were you? My parents right now, they're still living in Houston, and that's where I went to high school for the last two years. And then I went and studied in San Antonio for a bit. All right. We have, we have that in common then, because I was born in Bakersfield, and then we moved oh, to really? Houston. Oh, really? No kidding. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to Ventura, and then we moved to Sugarland, and I went to high school and college in Texas. That's cool. You went, uh, where did you go to college? Uh, University of Texas at Austin. That's awesome. I have quite a few friends there. I had no idea. That's really cool. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a. I've met quite a few people at Academy of Art that lived in Texas as well. A lot of yeah, people I from met Texas. A few awesome people, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people from Texas and a lot of people from New Jersey. Oh. So I'm not, I'm not sure what it is about those two states, but it it attracts people to the San Francisco area. That's awesome. I I haven't. I don't think I know any New Jersey people. But yeah, definitely you're right about the Texas thing. All right. So then you moved uh, back to San Francisco. And I, I saw on your or profile that originally you were a, a neuroscience major. So I was curious how you decided to go from neuroscience to becoming an animation professional. Yeah, well, OK, so I actually I was always way into arts and illustration and animation and stuff like that. But um, coming out of high school you know I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do and it's like I had this idea of art is just kind of like you paint still lifes and portraits and I was like I don't really know how to you know make that a career I don't really you know like I wasn't very informed in like the industry arts or anything like that so I was just kind of naive on the whole thing and I knew that it's what I wanted to do, but I wasn't like brave enough to go and say like, oh, I just want to do art. And my dad is pretty big in the sciences. So he was telling me like, oh, you know, science is a good way to go. It's a secure career. And um, I really look up to my dad. So of course I took his advice very strongly. And it was something that I enjoyed. And so I was like, sure, let's just try out um, some science stuff. I ended up really, really liking um, neurobiology and psychology. Psychology is super interesting to me. And I thought that I would go into the clinical psychology realm. But um, during those four years of the undergraduate, I kept, um, I, you know, I kept up with my art. I was teaching myself Photoshop and a little bit of Flash. And I started to get more informed on the industry and what kind of jobs and careers that you can really follow in the field. And it really just started hitting me that it was something that I could do and it could be a really secure career as well. And, um, you know, my passion for the arts wasn't going away. It was only getting stronger. And so I decided to go for it after graduation. I was like, well, if I continue to pursue this, uh, pursue the sciences, um, you know, it'll be harder and harder to turn around. And so I decided that I would go back to school in San Francisco and try the art thing. And I'm really glad that I did because as long as you do your research and you and you work hard and you um, find the right people, then it really can be a really good career. And so I'm really glad I did that. That's exciting that you decided to do that, that even though you really enjoyed the sciences that you realized, but you know, my true passion is art and I'm going to you know, take the plunge and go ahead and pursue that as a career. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it did take quite a bit of courage, but as I said, I really thought that it was the right thing to do. And it's actually funny because I was a little nervous about telling my parents that I was going to make the switch. So I didn't tell them that I was thinking about it. Even come graduation time, I told them, you know, I was going to continue doing the clinical psychology stuff. I even applied to, uh, master's programs and PhD programs in clinical psychology and I even went to the interviews and I got accepted and stuff (laughs) and at the same time I was also you know calling uh, the Academy of Art doing my research doing my application 
and I got into both, you know, I got into a clinical psychology program in Maryland. And, um, also, you know, I got, um, accepted to the academy as well to start the master's program. And so <laughs> I told my parents, like, oh, I, I got accepted to clinical psychology, but also art. I think I want to do art. <laughs> and they actually ended up being really, really supportive and they still are. And so. Everything turned out fine, but it's kind of funny how long it took me to actually say that I wanted to do this. Your story is very similar to the story of one of my other friends. I have a friend named Rosie, and the same thing happened with her. She grew up loving art, but her dad is also in the sciences, and he encouraged her to go into the sciences because it was a more stable career, and she also really liked the sciences, and she actually did pretty much the same thing. She started going into the sciences and was majoring in that. And then halfway through the program, decided to switch to art and then ended up graduating with an art degree. Yes, that's just kind of funny how that happens. I think a lot of people have that stereotype of like the starving artist. And so like, it's kind of difficult to have the courage to pursue art from the beginning. So I think a lot of people have stories like that, where they start off in something else because they think that it's smarter, but then with a little bit of research, they they see that they actually can follow something that they're more passionate about. This is true, especially since you'd had a passion from a young age for wanting to pursue art. What were some of your influences when you were younger that led you to realize this was what you wanted to do? Uh, well, um, like I said, uh, my family did quite a bit of moving around when I was a kid and so it was kind of harder to keep friends and uh, like make a lot of friends um, if you keep moving around you know back in those ties back back in my day there was no you know like they didn't have all the Facebook or whatever chats and stuff like that we didn't even have like cell phones and stuff so it was a little bit harder so I ended up being just really good friends with my twin sister and um, we would mostly just hang out and one thing that we really loved to do was create stories and illustrate them. It was just something that was really fun for us. And so whenever we watched like cartoons, I remember we were way into uh, the Powerpuff Girls and uh, those types of cartoons. And uh, Hamtaro, I don't know if you remember that, like the little hamster. I remember stuff. Hamtaro. Yeah, so cute. We would like... I remember the ad for Hamtaro. I remember in Cartoon Network, them going, and Hamtaro has mad skills with a Z and just thinking that was the funniest thing. <laughs> I do not remember that, but I remember the little toys that had like little holes in them on the bottom so you could like put them at the end of your pencil. They weren't erasers or anything. They were just toys that would hang out. So I would just like go to school and proudly like write my papers with like little hamsters on my pencil. Anyways, so yeah, we, whenever we would like watch shows, you know, whatever they were, Dexter's Lab doesn't matter. We would continue on like episodes and continue writing like little funny like skits basically and just illustrating them and pretend like we were making cartoons basically. And you know, and I go back, we still have them, like all of our drawings and stories now. And, uh, they're really, they're really fun. <laughs> I mean, they're no, they're no good, obviously, but like, they really helped us grow and have fun and really develop this passion that we had to create things and it really helped that sort of flourish. And so, yeah, that's, 
doing that with my sister is what I think really made me realize from a young age that it was something that I really wanted to do. And now that I am doing it, I, what continues to, you know, inspire me and motivate me is thinking that, oh, maybe now I'm involved in the show that some other kid somewhere is drawing like silly little things about. And so it's cool to be part of that cycle now. So I think, yeah, a big influence for me when I was younger was just the cartoons that I saw every day. And then, yeah, being able to do that with my sister. That is excellent. And it's great that it's come full circle now where you went from being influenced to being able to influence others. And who knows, five, 10, 15 years from now, there'll be an interview with somebody and they'll say, yeah, I, I really admired Chiara Fiori's art. <laughs> and that's why I'm an animator now. So you are inspiring the next generation of artists. I hope uh, that would be the greatest thing for me. So then once you decided that, yes, art was what I wanted to do, how did you decide to go to the Academy of Art? Well, I guess since, well, since I had already an undergraduate degree in something completely not art related, I didn't really want to spend another four years in school doing like an undergraduate then in art. And so I was looking for a program that was either like a master's or some sort of certification that was less than the four years that I could do. And so I was doing my research online and other schools did have uh, the possibility of doing, you know, the, the master's programs in animation but um even if they didn't like necessarily require an undergraduate degree there was a pretty strict level of art that you had to already have in order to enter the master's degree but um i think the academy really you know provides good opportunities for people who don't necessarily have a super strong background or an undergraduate degree or whatever and they really give you an opportunity to take just whatever you have and see what you can learn with the resources that they give you. And so, you know, since I hadn't already done a bunch of art and I didn't want to spend the time doing a whole un another undergraduate degree, it just felt like the academy fit best for me. And plus it was in San Francisco, which I really wanted to go back to and doing my research online is what I had learn was you know a really good area for the arts and for the industry and so I knew that I would be able to make good contacts there and meet the people who would eventually you know be my colleagues in the industry and so uh, those are yeah the reasons why the academy was what I thought was the best fit for me and it, it ended up being what I really hoped that it would be it gave me the tools that I needed and yeah, I'm I'm really glad I chose that school. And while you were in school, did you know when you went to school that you wanted to be a layout artist or were you looking for a more general education in the field of animation and then you would go from there to figure out what you wanted to do? I had done a little bit of research on the industry before applying to the school, of course, but you know, of course, you can't know really about the industry until you, you know, 
at least get a little bit of education on it. And so I knew the roughly that I wanted to be, you know, in animation. But of course, as we know now, that's a very big field with a lot of concentrations that you can go into. So I just wanted to go to improve my skills, but also to learn more about what different concentrations could be and um, see kind of where that would take me. So, yeah, I was pretty open in terms of what I wanted the eventual outcome to be. And I think that's a really important thing when you're going to school is to be open and try to learn everything because there's no way you can know exactly how the industry works or where you are going to fit in. And so it's always good to just take every opportunity. And then while you were there, I saw that you got to work on a student film of your own. And not only did you work on it, but that you won a second place for it. So can you tell a little bit about that process and how you decided to create your own film? Yeah. Um, well, for the Academy, you do need to complete um, a thesis film in order to graduate. And so you can either work on a collaborative or a variety of collaboratives or to create your own. And, you know, I thought I'm never going to really be able to do this again when I'm working to be able to come up with an idea and take it from start to finish. Um, and so I really wanted to do my own project. I actually ended up working with my twin sister again, which was really great. And we did the film together. And the title of it was actually Sisters, which actually doesn't have anything to do with sibling sisters. It's about two nuns. So holy sisters. And it was, it was a lot of fun to be able to, um, yeah, work with her. And like I said, take it from start to finish. You get to, you know, do write uh, the story to make storyboards to the color planning stuff to putting together an animatic to animating cleaning up compositing all that stuff everything and it really helps you get a better feel of how the pipeline works and where you want to be inside of the pipeline and also how it feels to be able to work with somebody which is very, very important for the industry as well. And did you encourage your sister to come to the Academy of Art as well? Is During all of your research, is that why she chose that school or was that something that she came to on her own and then you both decided to work on it together? <laughs> yeah, well, um, actually, she also got uh, a different non-art-related degree. Uh, for her undergraduate studies, she studied urban planning. Wow, okay. And Yeah. <laughs> So kind of all over the place. But, um, you know, when I say that, like, I always loved art and always knew in the back of my mind that it's what I wanted to do. I think I speak for her as well. She always knew that it's what she wanted and it's what she enjoyed doing the most. And so I actually don't remember whose idea it was first, but we got to talking about it. We both sent in applications. We were both kind of doing that together. And kind of the same thing with the thesis is just suddenly we started working together I never can remember exactly who like came up with what it all just kind of blurs together so yeah I think it just kind of happened that way and then coming up with the idea for sisters I'm assuming since the two of you are sisters 
Is that where you originally got the idea of, well, we're sisters, we want to do a film about sisters, even if they're not biological, or did it come about in a different way? Well, so, I don't know. See, we've thought about this before, and we're like, we're not exactly, we we don't really remember where things originate from, because everything gets kind of mushed together. But actually, uh, we were thinking about it, and... um. Like I said, that when we were younger, we would make up uh, the stories and illustrate them and stuff. At one point, we were um, doing these little stories about miniature nuns. I don't know why, where they would just like pop up on people's shoulders and just like say like funny things or like one of the nuns was like more serious. And all of the nun characters, all of their names were Sister Catherine. So we're like, oh, you know, why don't we just, I don't know. I don't know exactly when they came back up in school. I think in one of our classes, we just had to make up uh, like characters for designs or something. And they just popped back up. And then we're like, well, why don't we just use this as a thesis? Like it just, you know, kind of felt like it would be a fun direction to go in. And so, yeah, the two characters in the story, again, are both called Sister Catherine. So I don't know exactly. Um, I can't pinpoint a time when we just sat down and said, okay, we need to think about like a thesis project. What should it be? It just kind of happened. And where the thing originally began, I guess it's somewhere around like middle school, but I don't know. It all just kind of rolls into something. It just resurrected itself. It'd been there all this time and just waiting for you to bring it back. <laughs> I guess so. With the thesis, it's always important not to think too much about it and just kind of have fun. If you overthink it, it starts to be like super stressful. So we're just like, oh, hey, I remember these things. Thesis. <laughs> all right. So then y'all completed the film and then entered it in the festival. How did that feel to be able to enter it and have it win and have you know, everyone at spring show be able to watch it? It felt, it felt really awesome because when you're working on a pro, we were working on it for a whole year. When you're working on a project, you get kind of like, like you stop being able to see it in perspective, you know? And so many little things change all the time that it's like completely different than what you started with at the beginning. So by the end, you're like, wait, does this make sense to everyone else? Is this funny to everyone else? You know, like you kind of, you don't, you can't see it as an outsider anymore. So you just have no idea how people are going to react. And so being able to, uh, you know, enter it in the festival and see how people react and seeing people laugh at the parts that we wanted to be funny and seeing people like feeling that, um, you know, they got the story and they liked it, that really helped you to, to make you feel that you did a good job and you did what you intended to do, even if the details kind of changed. Sounds good. So then once you were done with the film and then once you were done with school, how did you go about figuring out which studios you wanted to apply to and what types of jobs you wanted to focus on? So I think when I was applying to jobs, and I think this is also a good approach for anyone who is currently in the position that they 
are looking for jobs, it's good to try to get into a studio that is in some sort of an animation hub. That is, you can continue to remain relevant and be in an area where animation thrives and um, exists beyond just one studio. And the other reason for that is also because with animation jobs, most of the time, you get hired for short-term contracts, uh, depending on how you know long they they need you for a certain production. If you know if the studio only does you know one TV production, they might only need you know animators or layout artists or whatever your position is for let's say I don't know six months or something like that, and then after that they don't need you for another six months, and that can get kind of dangerous if you're in an area where there isn't a lot of other studios around, uh, you might find that you have long waiting periods before you can, you know, be working again. And so when I was looking for a job, I was looking mostly in uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, obviously, where there's a lot of studios. And also Vancouver as well has quite a few studios up here and there's a pretty big animation scene. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I was looking for. And then other than that, as far as positions go, um, like, like I was saying that I was pretty open in school. I was also open when it came time to apply. You know, you never know exactly what kind of job you're going to like when you're in the industry or what something might lead to a you know, you never really want to put down an opportunity just because you think it isn't exactly what you're going to like. And so, yeah, when I first, I was hoping to get into visual development, actually. And um, uh, I ended up, you know, getting the, the job in layout. But, you know, I'm glad that I took it because now that I'm in the company, too, they're pretty open about people moving positions within the company. So now if I want to, you know, it's probably easier for me to apply for visual development within my company rather than if I were applying from the outside. But that being said, I'm very happy at my position and I'm actually not trying to switch because I found that I actually really like what I'm doing right now. So yeah, it's, it's good to, you know, of course, aim for what you want to do, but you never know exactly where you're going to end up or what you're really going to enjoy. So you should always take whatever opportunities you can. And yeah, so that's what I was looking for. Just something that I thought, you know, would possibly get, bring me other opportunities and something that I would enjoy. And also in an area where I could stay relevant and inspired and be surrounded by animation. That sounds excellent. That's a really good way to go. And that's good advice for anybody to make sure because Sometimes you may find a company that you really enjoy, but if there's nothing else around it, and like you said, if you go on hiatus or you're out of work for a couple of months, you might be stuck. Yeah. So that is good if you're looking at places where you have an opportunity to move around if you need to. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, it can get tricky with the whole short contract thing. So I think that's a very common complaint that I hear about the industry and it's definitely something that people, you know, have to be careful about and um, you, you know, yeah, I should be careful about from the very beginning. 
So then what was the process like applying to DHX and then moving? Because, you know, you're living in another country now, working in another country. And even though, you know, it just shares the border with the U.S., it's still a completely different country with different customs, different rules, different laws for people working from different places. So can you walk through that process? Sure. So, yeah, I applied around graduation time. And um, I actually applied for a position called oh, animation revisionist. And so I told, I, I sent them my, you know, whatever resume and demo reel. And they said that they were interested in my work. And so they sent me a, uh, an animation test. And generally for most companies, from what I hear, most of their animation tests you have to complete within a day or two and then they'll let you know, you know, within the week if they're interested or whatever. So I completed the test and then they let me know. They were like, oh, you know, it's not exactly what we're looking for, but we think that you would be a good fit for the layout position. Oh, and I think I should say the position name is called layout, which is a name that most companies use to describe background artists. I'm actually not a background artist. Layout, they mean like posing, like keyframes, basically. So we're actually like posing artists. So they sent me another animation test with more of a focus on the, the posing which they call layout. And so I sent that back in and they said that I thought they were, they thought that I was a good fit for the position. So we worked out a contract and then yes, because it's in a different country, they have to uh, sponsor my permit uh, basically to move over there. But if you're an American and I think Mexico has this agreement as well, you just, uh, you can come in pretty easily across the border. Uh, the only requirement is, of course, the, on the, on the company's side, they need to, you know, sponsor that permit. And then you need to show, like, your resume and stuff like that. And so that they know that you are qualified for the job. And then they let you across. Then your permit lasts as long as your contract lasts. And for me, it's a closed permit. So I can't work for anyone but DHX. And, um, yeah, so that's how that went about. And as far as the moving stuff, you know, I moved around a lot in my life, so it wasn't really the scariest thing ever, but you know, it, it, it was a little bit of a change, but Canada really isn't that different from the U.S. and Vancouver, especially for me, it felt a lot like San Francisco. It's the, the architecture is completely different. So like it looks different. But as far as culture goes, the type of people you meet is very, very similar to San Francisco. At least that's what I find. A big, big international community and um, even if not international, a lot of the Canadians that I know here as well are not originally from Vancouver. Most of them come, you know, for the job. So it wasn't, don't be too scared to move because it's, it's not really that big of a deal. That's good to know. Yeah, because I know that some people, they're only looking for jobs in certain cities or certain states. So it's good to to cast a wider net if there's a place you want to work and perhaps it's in a different city or a different country. That's good to know that they sponsor that for you once you get the job and that you can move and you can, 
you know, learn about a different culture in different places. Yeah, for sure. I have to actually be honest. I was very like reluctant in the beginning. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go to Vancouver, Canada. Isn't it like cold there? And now I just laugh at the things that I was worried about because nothing ended out really, you know, it really actually ended up being a very positive mood for me. And I really, really love the people that I work with and the people that I've met so far. So yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. People should be willing to, as you said, cast a bigger net. That way you'll also find more opportunities. I think that's true. So once you're there, what would you say was, you know, what's the best part about, you know, now being in the workforce and what are some things that you weren't expecting that are a lot different from being in school? Well, I think, I think the biggest difference from school is that your responsibilities are a lot more specific. I feel like in school, you kind of, you're juggling a lot of things, not just like different classes, but also just, uh, you know, different times. You know, you, you might be working like all day long, you know, outside of classes too. And you're trying to learn design and you're trying to learn color and you're kind of trying to learn like everything and a bunch of softwares and stuff like that. Once you get into the, the workforce, you know, you don't really have, you, you have a very specific job and it's not limiting at all. It's not like I feel like I'm a robot doing the same thing every day, but the, I feel a lot less stress of all the things that I need to like keep in mind. I can really focus on just one thing and doing it well. And the other thing that I found that was most surprising to me was in school, people just talk about software like all day long and they really, you know, put a lot of emphasis on it and people worry about, I worried about it a lot where they're like, oh, I should learn this. You know, I was like, oh, I should learn Harmony, but I also should learn 2D Paint, but also I should learn Flash and, you know, all these different programs and I really have to master them. But the truth is when you're working, you don't really, so I work in Flash right now and I would not say I'm like a master at Flash at all. I just need to learn like a specific tool set and like that'll do the job for me. And then I don't really have to do any of those fancy, you know, things that you're always worried about having to know. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and also I didn't know Flash at all before I started. They trained me and it only took honestly a month before I was pretty fluent in the things that I needed to know in the program. So I think that was really the biggest surprise for me is that there really is not as big of an emphasis on software as you think. So that's something to keep in mind if you're in school and you're stressing out about like, oh, I don't know this or I don't know the most advanced tools in that. It's really not that big of a deal. And, you know, your employers too don't really put that much of an emphasis on it. If they like your demo reel and they like what you do, they don't really care what software you did it in. And they also don't mind training you because the truth is the softwares and stuff, they change all the time. And within our company, we use more than just some projects are done in Flash. Some projects are done in really old versions of Flash, which is kind of like a whole different thing altogether. Some projects are done in Harmony. 
And, you know, you might be moving from project to project, so they don't care about training you or having to do any of that. So, yeah, that was the biggest surprise for me. That's good to hear, because I know at our school, especially, it's very tech-focused, which which can be good, because then you learn a lot of things. Yeah. But it's true, technology changes all the time. And it sounds like as long as you have your specific skill set down, and that you can show, I can do the work, and I'll just learn the tool. It sounds like the more important thing is the artistry itself, and you can learn the tools later instead of letting the tools kind of lead what you're doing instead. Yes, that, that's absolutely right. As long as you focus on the fundamentals when you're in school, don't stress out that much about the programs because they'll come easily once you know the fundamentals and how animation works. The tools, you know, are built around that, so they come very easily to you and like I said they'll train you at work or you can learn very very quickly it's not even that big of a deal so that's not to say that like you shouldn't try out software it's they're also very good tools to learn the fundamentals but um yeah like I said just don't stress out too much about it that's not what's going to get you the job or leave you the job really yeah it's the artistry so now that you're at DHX uh, what different projects are you currently working on when I first came in, I got put uh, same same position, the, the posing artist layout thing, for a show called Littlest Pet Shops, and it was season four. It's a show that's a lot like like My Little Pony type, which is also the company also does that kind of type thing, like for little girls and boys, and it's about like animals and stuff like that. And so yeah, that's what I started out doing. It was a six-month project, but around the fifth month, they took me out of that to put me in a different project that some help was needed there, and that's where I currently am right now. And it's it's a show that we work on with DreamWorks, and it's the Peabody and Sherman series. Um, it's not the movies. It's the, the 2D animation series. It's on Netflix. And so we're working on season two right now, and so... Like I said, I do like the, the key pose illustrations and I set up the models and put them in the, the software, basically. That's good to know. And it's also exciting to hear that you're working on a 2D show because I was actually talking with someone earlier about this. And, you know, a lot of times people might want to major in 2D or want to work on 2D and they might be afraid that they may not be able to find a job. But you found a job and you've been able to work on it and do a lot of good things. So it sounds like if you just follow what it is you want to do, you'll be able to find the kind of work you're looking for. I think, yeah, I think that's very true. You know, people used to tell me that too, like, oh, why are you in 2D? Like, you're never going to find a job. And now, like, like, I believe them, but it's not true, really. Like, it's kind of misinformed when people say that because there actually is a lot of uh, demand, I think, for 2D. Uh, I mean, of course, it's a very competitive industry, but so is 3D. And I mean, if you think about our, you know, there might be, I don't even know if there's less jobs than 3D, but even if so, you think about like uh, at the academy, our my graduating class for, for 2D was five people or something like that, whereas the 3D department was like, 400 or something like that so you know you you might 
say like oh there's more jobs in 3d but there's more people looking to fill those positions you know like i feel like it balances out and honestly if you start paying attention to how much 2d stuff is still there you'll see that there's still a really you know high demand you know also because for most 3d things they go through a 2d path beforehand at least in the development stage. And if you, you know, if you're in 2D animation, lots of times you know how to, you know, illustrate. But since you're animation, you also know how to create compositions for shots and, you know, movement and stuff like that. So that makes you even a better uh, artist to be able to do that development stuff for them. So I think just because feature films nowadays really don't do 2D animation, doesn't mean that the industry is dead or they don't want you it just means that it's different you know and that's that's fine you know the the industry is always evolving and changing that's always going to be the case but just because it's different than how it used to be doesn't mean that it's dying I really don't think that it is well that's very encouraging and I know I've learned something because I wasn't exactly sure either because I actually I was 2d and I switched to storyboarding so that Mm -hmm. I could keep drawing but it's good to hear that you know, in a lot of respects, 2D is alive and well. You just have to go and search for that opportunity. Yeah, you just have to look for it in the, the new places that it's grown to be instead of, uh, I just feel like it, 2D got a lot of attention when it was feature. And that's when we were growing up and stuff like, oh, it really used to dominate because it would be like our favorite movies and stuff. But just because now it doesn't have that spotlight doesn't mean that it doesn't still around like you know a lot of commercials even and stuff like that and games and shows still utilize 2d so yeah i'd say if anyone is out there that wants to do it i promise it's not dying it's still there and um yeah as long as you do your research and you figure out where the demand is you can find a way to get yourself in there so along with the work that you're doing for dhx do you have any personal projects that you're working on as well Yes, well, of course, I am really into painting now. Um, I really like digital painting. So I'm always working on that. And usually I try to come up with uh, those works to be able to print out and sell as prints. And so I participate in art shows around Vancouver and also elsewhere. And so that's always an ongoing project for me is to not only to improve my work, but also to be able to print it out and sell them as packages and hear people's like remarks and stuff on that. So I always have that going on. And where can people find you online if they're interested in checking out all of your art? Sure. I have a Tumblr and you can find it Chiara Maria Ferrari com and Chiara is spelled C-H-I-A-R-A. And um, I am fairly new to the whole blog scene, but I try to post my work there. Usually I have something new uh, every week or so. And I post everything on there. And yeah, and I'm, I'm following quite a few people now too. And I think that it's a really good uh, website that that for artwork and photography, I think that it, it has a really good, uh, it's a really good, like, I don't know what you call it, online menu for that. It's set up really well for that kind of stuff. So, 
yeah, you can check out my stuff on there. I also have an online portfolio, but you can find the link in the in the blog. I think the blog is more interesting. Excellent. So I'll make sure to put that in the show notes so that everyone can check it out. And is there anything else that you would like to share or anything else that you'd like to let people know either about you or about the industry as a whole that you found to be helpful? I would say, uh, you know, my only advice is to, uh, you know, it's going to be pretty, if you're following uh, a career in animation or you're currently in school, I think that it's, it's easy to get stressed out and sort of lose focus on what it is that actually brought you there and what makes you, you know, enjoy art so much. And I think that you should never really lose sight of that because I think it's a very, like, I guess, privileged industry in the sense that it it really is a privilege to be able to do something that you're really passionate about and that really is able to impact people in a very special sort of way. And so if you are, you know, lucky enough to be doing a career in what, you know, you really enjoy and love to do, then you should always do your best to, even through all the stress and all the hard work and all that stuff, always remember what inspires you to do that. And like we were talking about before, keeping in mind the cycle and Yeah, just have fun. Well, Kiara, thank you very much for sharing your insight. I really appreciate it. And I learned a great deal, not only about you, but about the industry as well, and especially about 2D. I know a lot of people are going to be very excited to hear about that. So thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. And there you have it. Thanks again to Kiara Ferrari for being such a wonderful guest. And as always, I'll include links to her profile in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. I love five-star reviews, and I love hearing what y'all have to say about the show. Also, you can check out the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com. You can follow the show on Twitter by visiting at AnimJourney. That's A-N-I-M Journey. And also make sure to like our Facebook fan page, which is The Animated Journey. And if you're interested in seeing what I've been up to, you can follow me on Twitter by visiting at Sketchy Soul. I'm also on Instagram at Sketchy underscore Soul. And you can visit my portfolio page, which is www.sketchysoul.com. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the show. I appreciate all of your support. And just so you know, I'll be releasing episode three early in honor of the show being released on iTunes. And then after episode three, the show is going to start releasing on its regular weekly schedule. So be encouraged. Thanks for listening and have a great day.